0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. We have recently moved our Sunday services and midweek connect groups online to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Join us for Church at Home this Sunday by logging on to christchurchlondon.online.church at 10am, 11am, 5pm, 7pm or 8pm for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Hey there Christchurch London, it's so nice to be back with you, but who'd have thought it'd be like this? I'm sorry I can't be with you in person, but what an extraordinary time to be invited to share a few thoughts with you about prayer. Not just because, as I understand it, uh, you're about to launch a week of prayer, but because the whole world is turning to prayer actually at the moment. I'm told that for every 80,000 new diagnoses of coronavirus, the number of Google searches for the word prayer double. And we're at a time where the church is suddenly on the front lines of the response to this crisis. Church attendance is growing as we move online. There's new openness to the gospel. I was talking to Nicky Gumbel, the pioneer of Alpha, on the phone recently and he was saying everyone on his current Alpha group is on it because of the crisis, for one of three reasons. Either they're saying, suddenly I've got time to do Alpha, or they're saying, this crisis is making me ask profound questions about what life's all about. Or they're saying, the fact that Alpha is now online makes it less threatening, more doable. So I want us to think about prayer together. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start reading at verse 18, Romans 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Such beautiful words. And it's a a powerful depiction of prayer, intercessory prayer, really as a form of groaning. It's a very noisy chapter. If you notice here, there are three groans. First of all, verse 22, the whole creation, we're told, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Then verse 23, Says we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly, as we wake, wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And in verse 26, says that the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So heaven is full of groaning and yearning and longing, not just joy and praise. We see the groaning of creation all around us at this time. We obviously see it in the coronavirus crisis. Medically, the world is groaning. It's tragic. Economically, our world is groaning with the dire consequences of this virus, threatening recession for sure, but maybe even depression. Environmentally, our world is groaning. Personally, we groan, we suffer. We are not immune. One of my dear friends suddenly died recently and I'm wrestling with that, I'm struggling with the pain of that, I'm asking God questions about it and yet I know as a Christian to know God is to know hope. The call of Christ is firstly a call to suffer with others in a broken world and only secondarily to save others from the brokenness of that world. Jesus says whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's the cross first, the resurrection second. Paul says the same thing. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Yes, and hallelujah. And then he says, Philippians 3.10, participation in his sufferings. To be filled with the spirit of God is to be filled with agony as well as ecstasy. It is a call to lament to simply express our heartbreak in the presence of God. The great Quaker educator, Thomas Kelly, puts it like this, and I love this, it's beautiful. He says, we are torn loose from earthly attachments and ambitions, contemptus mundi, and we are quickened to a divine but painful concern for the world, amor mundi. He plucks the world out of our hearts, loosening the chains of the attachment, And he hurls the world into our hearts where we and he together can carry it in infinitely tender love. Isn't that beautiful? Carrying the pain of the world in infinitely tender love. That's where prayer begins. It is groaning with creation. And so maybe in the coming week that in the prayer room, uh, wherever you're praying, that actually part of what you're doing is simply lamenting, simply expressing your fears, your worry, your disappointment, your longing, your pain before God, maybe even with tears. But then the second groaning we have in Romans 8 is not the groaning of creation, but it is the groaning of the church, the groaning of the saints as we cry out to God, together. Because, you see, we're not just sons of Adam, we groan with creation, we are sons and daughters of God, and that means that we groan with the Spirit. So the first groan that we hear in Romans 8 is the groaning of creation, but the second is the groaning of the saints. We groan as Christians, we are not immune from the problems of this world. Moreover, we are being called by God as his children to intercede, to stand in the gap. One of the most famous passages in the whole Bible, it's often quoted, especially right now, is 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, when God says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague amongst my people. So that's when, not if, things go wrong. He then says, If, not when, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's what we need right now, the healing of the land, the forgiveness of sin. That means sanctification in the church, but salvation and the hearing of our prayers. And, you know... If we're going to really pray and intercede at a time like this, not just empathise with the culture, but actually really intercede, we must understand the authority we have as children of God. It's astounding. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 depicts uh, Jesus Christ exalted at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. It says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. We all go yes and amen. Jesus is ultimate. But then fast forward a few verses to Ephesians 2 verse 6 and the Apostle Paul writes and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us right up there with him in heavenly realms. In other words, if we have a big view of who Jesus is, we must understand our authority in him. You know, we've got a big old labradoodle called Noodle and uh, she's the sweetest natured thing you've ever met. And we've also, we used to have a little hamster called Snuffles. And Snuffles was kind of the Houdini of hamsters. Snuffles could somehow get out of any cage you put her in. And one day, I suppose the inevitable happened. Snuffles had escaped from her cage and somehow made it from the kid's bedroom all the way downstairs and was confronted with this vast canine mountain called Noodle. And I happened to just see the encounter, this tiny little ball of fluff with little pins for eyes, staring up at this massive uh, Labrador standard poodle cross that could have eaten her in one gulp. I thought this was going to be interesting. What I saw astounded me. Noodle looked at this tiny little ball of fluff and promptly rolled over on her back. And I realised the dog is submitting to the hamster. It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. It's stupid. It's unnecessary. And yet I think quite often as Christians, we're a bit like that. We have ultimate authority in Christ. He is seated far above all powers and we are raised up with him to that place but the moment that Satan comes along, we roll over on our backs and submit. And God calls us to begin to understand the authority we have when we partner with him in prayer. I'm not saying that all our prayers get answered, but I am saying that in prayer, we are being trained to rule and reign with Christ. And so the call that is upon us is to not just groan empathetically in lament with creation, but to groan with the spirit of God, that the purpose of God might be fulfilled. Intercession means that we are not, as it were, crying out to God in despair from below, but that we are exercising his authority from his side, from above. That is Christian prayer. We have extraordinary authority. And then there's this third groan in this passage, and we've touched on it already. This is the groaning of the Spirit of God who takes our prayers and interprets them into something that is meaningful to the Father. I find that so reassuring. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that that when we don't know how to pray, The Spirit of God, as it were, interprets. And he doesn't interpret in, you know, posh words, but in great heaving groans. You know, to be filled with the Spirit of God is to be filled with an intercessory prayer meeting. I think I learned a little bit about this um, when one of our boys was very small. And um, he was just at that stage, he was learning to write. I think I might have shared this story last time I, I was with you, but forgive me if you've heard it before. And so Danny uh, used to write all these scribbles on bits of paper and he thought they were words but they weren't they were just you know scribbles. And we used to encourage him because that's what you do as parents right yeah, great writing it's like Shakespeare it's so good. <laughs> and then one day Danny obviously feeling very encouraged uh, brought me a piece of paper on which he had done s- some writing and handed it to me and I was congratulating him one a- once again and then he looked at me and he said daddy read what I write it and I suddenly realised I don't know what on earth any of this means. I I couldn't make any sense of what was on the paper so I really in despair looked down at the little face in front of me and the strangest thing happened. As I looked at Danny's face because I'm his dad I was kind of able to read his face. I thought about the funny little things that go on in his head I thought about the kind of day he had had and I had a guess at what the scribbles might mean and as I read his writing he was there nodding and eventually he said very good reading daddy and I said thank you so much because it was some of the best reading I'd ever done in my life. I think in prayer we often think that it's about getting the right words or the right techniques You know that thing where sometimes in prayer, it's like we say the same thing over and over again, just using different words for the same thing. It's like we're chucking a Roger's thesaurus at the sky. But God really isn't interested or impressed by our uh, vocabulary, our technique. Like a good father, he ignores the scribbles and he reads our hearts. He thinks about the things that go on in our heads, the kind of day we've had. And we're told the Spirit, when we are struggling to pray, interprets it before the Father. In other words, he takes the intention of our hearts. It's a beautiful image of being caught up, not just in the desperate groaning of creation, but also in the hope-filled groaning of the Spirit of God. And that brings me to the final thing I want to say. Please notice in this passage and remember as you go into this week of prayer that this is not the groaning unto death, but this is groaning unto life. It is labour pains. This is the groaning of a woman giving birth. And so whilst the world around us is terrified right now, and you might say rightly so, there is hope for those of us who know that Jesus has risen from the grave. We are groaning, it's the same agony. Any woman I've ever talked to who's gone through labor pain says to me, it is agony. But it's a different kind of pain because they know it is not the death pains, but the pains that bring life. And so when we groan with creation, and we groan with the Spirit of God. At a time like this, we're all carrying that groan deep within our hearts. We do so knowing that it is unto life. It is unto hope. Let me finish with one story that illustrates this. And it's it's from before the coronavirus crisis deliberately because there's a bigger picture. And uh, this was back in January. Um, I don't know if you remember is at the beginning of January, uh, President Trump uh, sent missiles and killed General Soleimani, uh, the sort of number two in Iran. And there was hundreds of thousands at his funeral. We've, we've got a picture that's just coming up uh, now of, of his funeral. In response to Soleimani's death, Iran launched uh, missile attacks on US and actually UK uh, bases in Iraq. And I suppose we all started to think, help, is the conflict now going to really escalate in the Middle East and beyond? But you know, there's always another story behind the story. And let me tell you what that story looks like. And I want you to see the power of prayer and partnership with God at work behind the scenes. See, Back in December, I was speaking at our church and we have a guy who's an army officer in one of our congregations and the the talk was on humility and so um, at the end I invited people to stand if they were sensing God was calling them to humble themselves and uh, this guy stood and so many people actually stood that I just invited those around them to gather around and, and lay a hand on their shoulder and pray for them. And um, I, I noticed this army officer receiving prayer. I didn't know obviously why he was standing. At the end, I went up to him and I said, you know, are you okay? And he said, more than okay, God's just spoken to me. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, the reason I stood was that I was recently passed over for a promotion that I felt I deserved. I'm really dispirited. I'm really discouraged. And I just felt through your talk that God was saying, humble yourself just accept that I'm in charge of promotions and I'll promote you at the right time. And he said, he stood, he didn't tell anyone this is why he was standing, I guess his wife would have guessed. But a complete stranger came up to him to pray for him and said, "Um, I've got three words for you and I don't know what they mean. I sense they're from God. And uh, the words were these. He said to this army officer, uh, Glasgow, is irrelevant. Glasgow is irrelevant. And as this army officer told me this, he began to weep. And I said, why? Why? What, what, what? Is Glasgow some traumatic experience for you? What is it? He said, no, no, no. If you're in the British army, you know that Glasgow is shorthand. It is the place where all deployments and promotions come from. And so you would regularly say, Glasgow sent me here, or Glasgow has said that. So just get this a second, an army officer has stood and without telling anyone, he is standing because he's saying, I'm gonna trust you God for my promotion, even though I've just been passed over. A complete stranger comes up to him and says, Glasgow is irrelevant. That's pretty powerful. And so this guy then a few days later went to Iraq, Christmas he was posted there his wife and kids were dreading it he was dreading it but he said I know I'm going with God's word I know God's on my case. The story doesn't end there because when on the 8th of January Iran launched its ballistic attack on those bases in Iraq there was a particular person a particular army officer who was on duty that night. In fact, he wasn't just on duty. He had, on Christmas Day, been having his quiet time. What's that, like uh, two weeks earlier? Had been having his quiet time. And God had said to him, get ready. Simple as that. Later that day, he was called in to um, the office of the guy who runs the whole military base that the British and the Americans share. And the guy said to him, "I've been watching you, and I'm impressed, and I'm giving you a promotion. Glasgow is irrelevant. I'm giving you promotion you You are now uh, the next rank up. as a result of that promotion that if you like, God had spoken to him about back in Woking at our congregation uh, a few weeks earlier, he was the guy in charge of that military base the night." that all the missiles came in. And he said, I knew I had been stationed there. I had been placed there by God. There's always a story behind the story, but it doesn't end there because a few days after hearing that story, I was with some Iranian Christians. You probably know that the church in Iran is growing faster than anywhere else on earth. It's been one of the hotspots of the coronavirus crisis, vast deaths, far bigger than have been reported by uh, the authorities. Um, But amidst it all, amidst great suffering, the church in Iran is growing exponentially. And I was having dinner with all these Iranian leaders. I happened to be sitting opposite a lady and I began to ask her story. And she said, oh, well, I'm from uh, a place in in northwest Iran uh, where we are actually opposed to the government. And in fact, she said, um, my brothers were killed uh, by the authorities, and so um, I decided to go and sign up to join the militia and fight the government. I was so angry. She said, on my way to fight, I felt I had a dream one night in which I saw the prophet Isa. You know, if you're, if you're a Muslim, you believe in Jesus Isa, and you believe in him, but you just believe he's a prophet. You don't believe he's a son of God. She said, I saw the prophet Isa in my dream, and I went up to him, and I said to him, I need to speak to Allah, I need to speak to God. And Jesus looked back at her in the dream and said, talk. And she said, no, no, no. this is on her dream. I, I need to talk to Allah, I need to talk to God. And again, Jesus said, talk. The third time she said, I need to speak to God. And Jesus said, talk. And she said on that third invitation, she just began to spill her guts pour out her heart to the prophet Jesus as if he was God. She didn't know what that dream meant. But a few weeks later, some missionaries arrived in her village, Iranian missionaries, and they gave her a copy of the New Testament. Can you imagine as she read her New Testament and read Jesus saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How she suddenly understood and gave her life to Jesus I said to her that is incredible what happened after you gave your life to Jesus and she said listen this is some conference we're just having dinner and she's just chatting over her food she said oh after I became a Christian I went and planted five churches I said wow that is incredible and then, a bit cheekily, I said, Do you know, some Christians don't even think women should plant churches. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, no, 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 keep doing what you're doing. Behind every story that we read in the headlines is another story. Behind the great story of this current crisis, God is outworking other stories of the church turning to prayer, of people being more open to the gospel, of increased unity between Christians, A softening of hearts. Christ Church London, I can't think of a better time for you to be pushing into the heart of God in prayer. Remember that as we humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, seek his face and pray, he promises he'll heal our land and he'll awaken the church. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to christchurchlondon.org.